What's it like to be reunited with someone who you're not sure you'd ever see again? As a matter of fact, you're fairly sure you wouldn't. And what further intrigue is it when that someone was at one time the center of your life? And what's it like when you're just living your regular everyday life and that someone steps into that regular everyday life? Well, that's exactly the position of the disciples that we're going to read about today. If you turn to the 21st chapter of the Gospel of John, or you can turn to the back of your newspaper, and the text is there, and I have synchronized my Bible now with your text. You will see this, that God in all of his glory and love did not end with the crucifixion where he paid for our sins so that he could remain just but yet be merciful at the same time. No, he went on to the resurrection. The most powerful evidence of life over death in the history of mankind. But he didn't quit there either. No, he came for an appearance in a room filled with his disciples to give them irrefutable evidence that he was back, that his body was physical, that he had raised, been raised from the dead. But he didn't stop there either. He bestowed upon them spiritual authority bestowed upon all of us spiritual authority that we might have the capability to see what God was doing and pronounce it and act upon it. But he didn't stop there either. He didn't stop until he came to everyday life. This is a scene that pictures the disciples after they've gone home. It's sometime after that upper room scene and you wonder how they could have returned to everyday life. But read with me and we'll see. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. That is the same thing as the Sea of Galilee. And he manifested himself in this way. Now he's manifested himself in other ways, but this is a very different and important way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee... And the sons of Zebedee and the two others of his disciples were together. And Simon said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will also come with you. And they went out and got into the boat. And that night, <laughs> they caught nothing. Now, let me just give you this piece right here, because this is quite a remarkable scripture. How is it? that these same people who have just been given the keys to the kingdom sometime before, we don't know how long before, but how is it that they go home to Galilee and they're fishing? They've been anointed and inaugurated with a spiritual authority to, to mirror things in heaven and they're home fishing. Why? Well, there are several um, estimations from the commentators. Uh, some people just think that they, they were so overwhelmed with the idea they just needed to take a little break and do their favorite thing. Uh, 
And some of you know that feeling whenever you get over, whenever, whenever the, the circuit breaker trips in your, in your stress guide, you just go th- do the thing you like to do the best. And some of you love to fish the best. I've seen your trucks. I've, I've, seen, I've seen your bumper stickers, you know. A good day of fishing or a bad day of fishing is better than a good day at the office. And I'd rather be fishing and, and work is for people who don't know how to fish and so on and so forth. I've seen your trucks. Peter was like that. I think he just liked to fish. And so that's a plausible answer. Uh, it, it's, even, it's even more of a likelihood that these people were now smart enough to know that no matter what authority they had been given, it's not wise to strike out on your own after you've been given spiritual authority. No, you wait until God not only gives you the authority, but he gives you the path. He makes the preparation and he makes it plain. All of you who have been given a vision would be wise not to try to run out and do it on your own. That is the fastest way to fail because whatever's built in the flesh will go down. So you must wait until there is a very plain opportunity and path that the Lord provides. And and maybe they were just biding their time and doing something constructive. It's very smart if you don't know what to do next, just to do what you would regularly do in order to be productive. Oswald Chambers once said that routine is the way God has of preserving us in between inspirations. And I like that. So when you're going through your routine, it's it's a way of being productive until the Lord shows you what to do next. I like that. One of the commentators said, maybe they were so scared they just went home to hide. I don't believe that. And let me tell you why I don't believe that. Because anybody who has ever been confronted by the living Lord knows there's no place to hide ever again. God is the best hide-and-go-seek finder you've ever seen in your life. (laughs) You can run as far as you want. But just like the psalmist says, where shall I flee from thy spirit? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go to hate, you're you're all, I can't do it. And these guys were smart enough to know once you have encountered the living Christ, the world is never safe again. Even those places you thought were safe are not safe again. I was was reading a book this week. Um, There's a kind of a, a, a delightful writer, Bill Bryson, who, who is not a Christian writer, but he's just a very creative writer, and he's, he writes little snapshots of life. I like that. And, and this is a, a man who, who was raised in America but went to live in England for 20 years and now has come back to America and is writing about some of the eccentricities he notices about our culture. And, and he said in this book, uh, the, the book is entitled, I'm a Stranger Here Myself. Uh, he said in this book, he was, going, he was at the library going over some, some statistical abstracts of the United States, and he, and he came across table 206, which is a table, evidently, that lists the ways that Americans injure themselves, uh, not intentionally, but accidentally. And it was quite remarkable, because the things that you think are safest, apparently, are places of great danger. Uh, for example, he said 400,000 Americans a year are injured by their mattresses or pillows or covers. <laughs> I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. I said, how? Now, how would you do that? I don't understand how you would do that. And another 400,000 a year are injured by their sofas and lazy boy chairs. <laughs> or, or maybe it's the same 400,000 and they're just really, you know, clumsy. I don't know. 
But I'm, I'm trying to picture how you, how you would be injured by your sofa. I mean, would you just, I mean, would you miss completely trying to, I mean, how would you do that? When you, when you set the chair up, would the thing fly up? I don't know. You know what I mean? I can't picture it. There, there's another 50,000 Americans. And by the way, you know what that means. That means by the time we finish this message tonight, probably 30 of our fellow Americans will have been savagely attacked by, by soft furniture somewhere. It just boggles the mind. You just think things are safe, and they're apparently not. Another 50,000 Americans are injured at their desks. Now, I, how do you do that? I mean, I don't mean, I don't mean just everybody has stuck a staple through their finger periodically, but, but these are injuries severe enough to warrant going to the emergency room or you couldn't be counted in the books. And so I'm trying to think, what? How would you do that? Although, after one of the services this morning, a lady did tell me that she got a call from her daughter, who's a student at Flagler, uh, who sleeps on the top bunk and apparently had somehow fallen out of her bunk and hit her head on her desk. That's two right there. <laughs> so I guess there are ways, you know? And the other one, I, I could go on, the, I, I love these stats, but, but the other one, it was this. It said, it said that more people are injured every year by sound equipment than by skateboards. Now, how do you do that? I always thought skateboards were rather dangerous. How? I, and, I, and I couldn't figure out how you would be injured by sound equipment until last week I pulled up at a stoplight <laughs> and there's a car right beside me and my car is just going like this. And I thought to myself, well, he's being injured by his sound equipment. I always felt sorry for those guys because I knew they were going to go deaf, you know, eventually. But, but I, think, I, I think I don't feel sorry because they're already deaf. they got to be deaf. But anyhow, the, the point is that those, those places in life where we think are safe, <laughs> they're not safe. Not when it comes to hiding from life. Not when it comes to hiding from the Lord. I don't believe that the disciples went back to hide. I think they went back hoping that they would see Christ again, that he would come into their regular life because that's what they were doing now. They were home living their regular life. And that's what's so special about this manifestation of Christ. This is not some religious epiphany. This is not some worship service where all of them are gathered together in prayer and the Lord appears because there is some group power. This is people just doing their routine. And Christ steps into their world anyhow. Now look at what it says. It says they'd, they'd gone to fish. They were fishing all night, didn't catch any fish. By the way, this was a favorite way to fish at night. This was the preferred time because you'd go out in a boat and you'd have a lantern there. And the lantern would just give you enough uh, light to be able to look over the side of the boat and see, see schools of fish. And then you could cast your net on those schools of fish. Problem was, that night, there were no schools of fish. And some of you, by the way, have been impressed that God is going to use you in some powerful spiritual way. And, and you have this sense, but, but you don't know when. And so you've gone back to your regular life, and you get, this, you get this feeling like, well, nothing's happening. There's no progress. I fished all night and caught nothing. I'm not, I'm not really doing anything here. I'm just going through life. For those of you 
who feel like that, you need to know that there's a word that comes after that feeling. And the word is in verse 7. I'm sorry, in verse 4. The word is, but. (laughs) You may feel like you're not making any progress right now. I want you to hear that word, but. (laughs) But. When the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. And by the way, that the, the word, the Greek word that's used here is the same Greek word that is used for Mary went to the tomb before it was light, while it was still dark, I'm sorry. And so this, was, this is still dark outside. Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. They just couldn't see. So Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? Now, at first, it seems like a derisive comment. Uh, it seems like a very uh, a patronizing comment. You've, you've got to know the culture, though. This is an, endear, is, an, is an endearing term. Calling them children would be like a, a Scottishman or, a, or, or, a, or an Irishman saying laddies. Laddies. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a way of, of, of establishing, you're, you're, my, you're my guys. So he says, he says, you don't have any fish, do you? And they answered, no. And they said to him, Cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. And so they cast. And when they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish, therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, who happened to write this gospel, said to Peter, (laughs) said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, you got to understand, Peter was the most zealous, but Peter wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer. He wasn't always the first to discover the truth. He was always the first to act on the truth. So this guy's very discerning. He recognizes Jesus. Out of the results of the success, he says, it is the Lord. And then Peter takes his role. I love this. So when, Peter, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment. He put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. <laughs> I love that. He started swimming for it. It says... But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. Now, let me tell you what's happening here. Let me set this very quickly for you. In the first place, there are people who are discouraged, but still willing to listen. I hope that if you are discouraged about the lack of progress in your life, you are still willing to listen. Because if you are, you will hear the voice of the Lord. You may not think it's the Lord right away, but it'll be the voice of the Lord. you got to be willing to listen. I don't know what there is about regular life that f- makes us feel like if we're doing something we're familiar with, we don't have to listen anymore. That's just, that's kind of a dumb thing. Because all of us can use wise counsel no matter what, how routine our life is. And so you gotta, you got to listen. I, I heard this story about this, uh, uh, true story. I read a story about an 81-year-old guy who had taken a small plane. He'd hired a pilot and rented a Cessna to fly from uh, Indianapolis to Muncie. The reason it caught my eye was that my wife was born in Muncie. And, and so they, the pilot took off, 52-year-old pilot, took off, got up and had a heart attack and died. And so here they are in the air, this 81-year-old's in this plane. He don't know how to fly a plane. And so he grabs the controls, doesn't know what he's doing, gets on the radio, says, help somebody out there. I, I'm, I, the pilot's dead and I don't know how to fly this plane. Well, some pilot came on and literally, for an hour and a half, gave him flight lessons in flight. Taught him how to operate the thing, taught him how to work the pedal, taught him how to work the throttle. I mean, here's this 81-year-old guy, 
And he landed this plane successfully at Mount Comfort. I know where that is, about 10 miles from where Becky lived, at the Mount Comfort Airport and walked away from it. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think during that hour and a half, he was listening intently? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, let me ask you another question. Why is it that we don't listen as intently for counsel that is as valuable in our daily life because we all need wise counsel whether we think we know what we're doing or not. And so here they are, and the reason that they, that they know it's the Lord is because they've heard the counsel, they've been obedient, they have success. And if you're listening for the Lord, He will speak to you, and you will have success. He will come into your daily life, and you will have success. And then the whole scene changes. I want you to know what was a dreary, discouraging scene all of a sudden became a church. All of a sudden, this was an altar because the Lord was present. The whole thing changed. And that can happen in your life too. That very, this very atmosphere, this very environment that you may be discouraged with right now, as soon as you hear the Lord, it all changes. I remember one time watching my oldest son, Josh. My oldest son and my youngest son have always had this uncanny ability to focus on one thing for a long period of time. My middle son and I do not have that capability. I was ADD before there was ADD. <clears throat> and and, and now, we, now we euphemistically call it multitasking. I need a lot of things to do at once. But it's, it's all fancy talk just for not being able to pay attention very long, you know. And, and so, and so but, but Josh, my oldest son, could, could do that. And I remember visiting some friends who lived on a lake. And Josh just goes down to the end of the dock and he's fishing. Got this little pole. He can be like maybe five, six years old. Maybe seven, I don't know. But he's out there fishing and this line, and he's standing out there for an hour and an hour and a half. And, probably, and, and I keep going, Josh, why don't you find another spot? Go, no. And every once in a while he'd pull a line up, see if a fish got his worm. And No, he still had worms, so he'd put. And he's, this kid just stood down there. Well, after about an hour and a half or two hours, some fish that was lost from its school <laughs> just kind of, went over and bumped into the hook and got his lip caught, you know? And, and Josh pulls this fish up. And it's just this little fish going like this on the other line. And the first thing he said was, this must be my lucky spot. <laughs> he had forgotten all about just standing there. And man, that fish changed everything. Well, as soon as you hear from God, that place that you didn't think was very good is your lucky spot. That's, that's the place where the Lord is, see? And the whole scene changes. So don't get discouraged. Don't think that the way things are right now are the way you'll always feel. And Peter put his coat in and jumped into the water. Put his coat on and jumped in the water. Now, why did he do that? Well, very simple explanation. You think, well, that's dumb because you can swim better without a coat on. And that's true. Uh, but the fact is that in the Hebrew culture, to greet someone properly calls for being clothed properly. And he wanted to greet Jesus properly. And so he put on his coat. When we take communion in just a little while, uh, we are going to clothe our greeting in words that are hundreds of years old to show him respect and propriety because we want to greet him clothed in 
um, respect. And so, and so that's, that's just a, a, a way of loving. Now, read on with me, and, and, and we'll finish up real quickly here. It says, so when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire already uh, laid and fish placed upon it and bread. Jesus had cooked them breakfast. I love that. First time I ever saw that, I thought, could that be right? And then I, then I thought, no, yeah, of course it could be, because in the 13th chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus washes their feet. If you can wash somebody's feet, you can cook them breakfast. And he was cooking breakfast. I love that. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think he really needed the fish for breakfast? This is the Lord who fed 5,000 with fish and loaves. He doesn't need their fish. But he knows, he knows they're fishermen. And they've just had a big catch. And so he wants, he wants to include them. See, inclusion, letting somebody contribute is a way to intimacy. God doesn't need the stuff we have. God has all the money in the world. But, the, but, but when we contribute, that's how we get intimate with the Lord. That's how he lets us get intimate with him. And so he said, bring some of your fish, you know? And they all got all puffed up. And you know how I know that? Because number one, I know fishermen. They love to talk about their fish. But number two, look at the words in the next verse. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish. They didn't say fish. They said large fish. Have a good day. Had a good day. How many did you catch? Oh, 153. <laughs> How did they come up with that, with that? They counted them. 153 fish. They were so proud, and he knew it. And so he just kind of smiled and said, well, bring some of them over here. And so they had 153, although there were so many. The net was not torn. Now just let me conclude with this. There are two phases in any relationship. One is a commitment phase where you need at least enough evidence to make it worthy and reasonable to commit yourself. And that's exactly what Jesus gave them at his first appearing, at his first manifestation. When he came, or the second, when he came into the room and he said, Holes, stick your finger here, I'm a body, I'm with you. And there was, there was no doubt in any reasonable mind that his resurrection was a fact. It was history. As a matter of fact, um, some of us still need that kind of proof. So we, we like to read books, not because we, we needed to believe anymore, but just because it reinforces that logical side of us. Um, I love to read books about, about the reasonableness of, of Christianity. Um, I just read one recently called, by Dean Overmeyer called A Case Against Accident and self-organization. And it makes the theory of evolution, that is the theory that we got here by molecules simply bumping into one another over a period of time, and eventually they formed a human brain. It makes it um, mathematically impossible. It pictures it as mathematically impossible. This is a, is a brilliant man who's, who's written about the statistical chances not of just improbability, but impossibility of the arising of both molecular biological life and of the particle astrophysics needed 
to support that kind of life or the environment needed to support that kind of life. And neither of them are possible merely by chance and accident. Well, that doesn't come as a surprise to us, of course. But it reinforces that logical side of our brain. And even if you can't understand all the formulas, you can come up with, well, it's certainly more reasonable to believe than not believe. I mean, it'd be goofy to think that we got here just by molecules bumping into one another. But if you stop with that, all you really have is an intellectual assurance. And what this passage is about is Jesus coming into the room for fellowship coming into your everyday life, and that's what's important. Can you imagine what it was like to have breakfast with Jesus? Well, I hope you can. I hope you do, because it's available to you every day. I hope that all of us realize that the disciples went from that place because they were so filled with his presence that they had to share it. They didn't go from that place with a job, They went with a, the other day, Becky and I um, took a day off. Last weekend when Matt was preaching, we had a day off a long time, so we just went to St. Augustine, and we stayed at the beach and and just decided we'd squirrel ourselves away in the room. We weren't going to go out. We just wanted to enjoy one another and just just have a great time. So so we ordered up room service. We shared um, 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 French onion soup and a club sandwich. When you share food, that's way romantic. Oh, way romantic. Yeah. See, we were all about romance, see? So we, and we decided we wouldn't go out to movie. We'd just have a movie in a room. So we started, and we got the list of, of uh, comedies, because we like comedies. And so we watched this comedy. We'd, we'd never, we didn't know what it was about, but we heard stuff about it. And it happened to be about this 20-something person who was, who was wondering why he kept losing relationships. And, 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 and it was a, a movie of a guy who was so self-absorbed um, and, and so lost and so, I mean, it was supposed to be funny, but it was just kind of pitiful. And about a, quarter, about a quarter of the way through, did you ever turn toward one another and have the same expression on your face? And, and we both turned toward one another and we went, like this. And Becky said, does it seem to you like we're watching a foreign film without subtitles? I said, yeah, it kind of does because it's such a different place than we are. Um, but but watch, we did not at all feel um, uh, separated from that person. We felt if only we could get to those kinds of people and share what we got because that's what the world's looking for. I want you to know that's what the disciples were thinking that morning when they had breakfast. Oh, God, if we can only let be let loose on the world and share what we got. Because they'll never have this. They'll never find this by themselves. It's only as we share you that they're going to find this. That's what we need to do. But before we need to do that, we need to consider the price that he paid. Pray with me. Lord, thank you that you do walk into our daily lives. And because you walk into our daily lives, we can share your presence with others who are in our daily lives. And thank you, Lord, that you did what was necessary to pay the price on the cross, not only so that we could spend eternity in heaven, but so that we could start eternity down here, so that you could come to us in a new form and be with us wherever we are, so that you could love us with a new intimacy. Indeed, that's why you died at all, because you loved us 
and you put yourself, you put us above yourself. You put us as more important than yourself. Thank you. As we celebrate this wonderful sacrament, let us understand that better. In Jesus' name, amen.